It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. The Late Lunch with Blackstone Motors, Jota, Dundalk and Cavan. Order your new 221 Renault today from our extensive Renault range. Guaranteed delivery and low-rate APR finance. Visit blackstonemotors.ie. Welcome to Midweek Late Lunch on LMFM Radio. We're jammers as usual. John Moore. Oh, he's an inspirational young man from Dundalk. He's back with his second cookery book and he's growing his own stuff to prepare in the kitchen as well. My artist of the week is Rod Stewart. His story continues in words and song. Uh, more people than ever opting for cremation at end of life. Why? Declan Finnegan from Lakeland's Crematorium is with us on the show. We'll also hear from Jean-Baptiste Latinois He's uh, from France and he set up the winery in Navan. He's a great story. He's with us on the show after two. And I have a love draw to give away a hundred euro to give to one of you this afternoon. But I begin today. Well, if you're keeping a track on the news and that news comes sport, you will know that in recent times, the North Dublin Schoolboys and Girls League and the Metropolitan Girls League uh, couldn't play their games. Why? The referees walked off the job. They said, we ain't taking charge anymore. The abuse has just become too much. And I think back as well to Daniel Sweeney. Remember that case? Mullingar Town against Horsleap United in 2018 when the man was disfigured after the game. It was simply shocking. And I could just go on and on about the cases. Well, we're going to talk about it for the next while with a man who's taken the whistle many times in the middle here in Ireland, over Europe and abroad at the highest possible level. I'm delighted to say hello again to Dr. Errol Sweeney. Hello, Errol. Hi, Jerry. Thank you so much for joining me, Errol. I just want to go straight in with this question to you. In your estimation, what is underpinning this and is it worse than ever? Two-pronged, Errol. Well, Jerry, you, in your introduction there, you, you called it a sport, but I don't think it's a sport anymore because sport is supposed to be something that you enjoy um, and it seems like it's not being an enjoyment anymore. Um, parents, even managers and coaches, are getting far too involved uh, in, in attempting to try and win and if that means intimidating or assaulting the referees or the match officials, it seems to be the order of the day. There seems to be a win-at-all-cost mentality there, and, and I really don't know why. Then the sport's gone out of the game. Even, at, even at, at international level, it's not a sport anymore. It's a business, and they want to win, and there's big money involved. But bring it right back down again to amateur stuff, and bring it back even further down to school boy and school girl stuff. It's just, it's just bonkers. 
So, Errol, you're, you're saying uh, two things there. It is worse than ever. You're uh, affirming that even from your time when you were the main man. Worse than ever now. It's got worse. It's deteriorating. But here's the thing. You've mentioned a number of points there. Right, soccer is big business at the highest level. There's no doubt about that. International club football. Money, money, money dictates. And winning is very, very important. Do you think the example being given at that level by players, you see every week in the Premier League, uh, Referee gives a decision and they're round him and they're in his face. That's surely not helping either. That example for younger players. Gary, it's only happening because it's allowed to happen. Now, if the, if the powers that be, and I'm really talking here about the leagues and the referee society, particularly in this country, or the referee, I don't know what they call them, um, organisations, associations in every other country, they need to get their heads together and sort out this problem because I almost said somebody's going to die, but people have died, actually. And you saw the situation with Daniel Sweeney from the Midlands. He had his eye socket broken, his cheekbone broken, and his jaw broken, and spent some time in hospital. When the guys um, attacked him in the, in the car park after the game, now, it's, it's a little bit subjudice because he has a case pending yes. against, <clears throat> against some of the players, and I think against the FAI. So we really can't talk... Mm about this. But I can go back even further, Jerry. There was a fantastic European referee from Sweden called Anders Fisk. And in 2005, 2006, he just one day said, I've had enough. After he got death threats from some uh, Chelsea fans. And, and I'll bring it further on then. There was a Dutch assistant referee called Richard Nievenhuizen. He was kicked and punched after a game by 15 and 16-year-olds. And he died in hospital in 2012. And then, you know, the, I, I don't know. If it's, it, I think the North Dublin School Boys League, I think they've just brought it to a head. I think it's been happening all the time. But it was brushed under the carpet as if people didn't want to talk about it or didn't want to know about it. And finally now it's come to a head. But I don't think it's new. I think it's been there all the time. Mm. It's just that it's a higher profile at this stage. When incidents happen, they're reported more freely. And we see it, as I said, the professionals on the television, they try to intimidate referees. And I've never seen, well, I have to say with VAR now, they do change their minds from time to time. But generally when they make a decision, and in most decisions, they, they get them right. But here's the thing, right, so it's money. It's uh, driven by that from the highest level. But bring it down into the amateur leagues. You mentioned Daniel Sweeney's case there. Amateur leagues, these schoolboy leagues as well for children. What's wrong? Because the finger has been pointed by referees in this dispute at coaches, at parents, at people on the sideline. What's driving this abuse from that perspective, do you believe, Aaron? I, I, honestly, I really don't know. I can, I can only make a guess that the kids playing are acting like they're, they're, they're heroes on the TV, they're diving, that gives the impression to their coaches or to their parents that they should have had a free kick, and the, the parents and the coaches then react in a very negative way to what they have seen or what they perceive to have been their little Johnny has been fouled. And, and that's wrong. Um, the whole thing should... Um, should be around respect for authority. And there doesn't seem to be that anymore now. No respect for the referee. He's going to make mistakes. Of course he is. He's going to make mistakes. He's a human being. He does the best he can. I, I don't know any referees personally that have fixed a game or deliberately given free kicks or penalty kicks 
to teams because they wanted that team to win or for whatever reason. It is happening elsewhere, sadly. It happened in South Africa um, in 2016 in a World Cup qualifier Mm. where a referee from Ghana was found to have actually fixed a game. He gave South Africa a penalty, uh, uh, which was a winning goal. South Africa won 2-1. FIFA carried out an investigation, uh, subsequently found him to be have taken money to manipulate or fix the game, and he was suspended for life, and the game was replayed. Now, in, you know, it's almost as if it's deja vu again, but yes. this South Africa's on the wrong end, because yes. last Sunday only, in another qualifier against Ghana, uh, the referee gave a penalty for what looked a very, very innocuous foul, if at all. Mm. It is, there is corruption there. I'm not saying all referees are squeaky clean. They're not. Some are crooked, some are bent. And, of course, it's not only Africa. There have been cases in Europe as well. Mm. Yeah, but, but look, they are the exception to the rule. The vast majority of people go out on the field. I'm just looking here. A female referee uh, was taking charge of the first of three games recently in those schoolboy and schoolgirl leagues we mentioned. And she was abused so badly, uh, she actually decided afterwards not to referee anymore. Young woman making her way, and there's some fine women referees now taking charge of top games as well. Another young lad, only whistling for three months, learning his trade, loving the game. The abuse he took, he decided uh, to sling his hook. I'm not going to be part of this. So it is a huge issue. But here's the thing, Errol. What about respect? That thing, you see the children walking out onto the pitch, carrying respect with them. Respect on the shirt sleeves of players as well. There really is little respect for referees. Gary, it's a joke. It's an absolute joke. I I can understand what the authorities wanted to do and promote respect, etc. Respect? What respect? I mean, even the the shake hands before the game, when they well, before COVID, and they used to walk up and down and shake hands with each other and the match officials. And no sooner would the game have started when respect's gone out the window. They're kicking each other up in the air. They're diving all over the place. They're appealing every decision. Where's the respect? But you see, it all stems from the referees to be strong enough to do their job. Sadly, when they do do their job, it's then deemed controversial. And then that referee is sidelined for a while. Instead of backing him up, one of the best administrators in this country was a man called Noel Kennelly, and he was the secretary of the Amateur League. He was absolutely brilliant, and that's where I started my refereeing career. And a lot of draw the referees also refereed in the amateur league he supported the referees a hundred percent remember the law uh, law five states quite clearly and i'm paraphrasing now the referee's decision is final that's it final and if he makes a mistake well then it's a mistake so what now with var of course they're looking back on it so they need to change that law actually because the referee's decision well i suppose in the end it is final because he has the final say but now they're reviewing it And maybe it's a good thing, maybe it's a bad thing. Maybe it's right that justice is not only done, but seen to be done. And with VAR, it's now being seen to be done. But you have to allow the referees to do their job to the best of their ability. And they're going to make mistakes. If you're not going to do that, well, you might as well throw your hat at it. And there can be no games without referees. Tell me this. I watched the All Blacks in Ireland. Yeah. And I listen, you can hear everything that's going on. And rarely will you hear a player show disrespect to a referee. Now, I heard one of the All Blacks saying something, but he was just put in his place immediately uh, at the game. But the respect for the referee, why can rugby get it right and soccer can't? 
because the difference is the players playing rugby do have respect for authority and they very rarely answer back. I did see that game, Jerry. Can you imagine? You only have to lip read the soccer players, what they're saying and the abuse that they're hurling at the referees and the bad language that's been used. Can you imagine a referee being mic'd up and that's going all over TV and all over the stadiums? For goodness sake. It needs to start from scratch. The players need to be brought down to size. And they need to be told that if you disrespect or you show dissent, you're going to be punished. I saw one instance. Actually, the recent, there was a recent game between Liverpool and, um, and Atletico Madrid yes. when a player got red carded because he refused to come back for the referee who wanted to show him a card. He just kept walking away. I mean, you know, the referee actually whistled three times loudly to call him back to take his punishment. He just kept walking. For the second whistle, I think, he actually bent down and he was pulling up his socks. Now, is that not disrespect? And eventually he got a red card. And quite right. Mm. The way it should be done. But it's not being done. But the referees need to start doing it and they need support and backing when they do start doing it. And if you get two or three or four red cards in a game, maybe they'll learn. I, I actually shudder to think what we would hear. And it would be a real eye-opener to mic up a referee, wouldn't it? And to listen to the language and the abuse, and that would really bring it home to people. But Errol, coming, bringing it back down to these children and no leagues, no games for them, people, you know, who give of their best to uh, get get in the centre of the field with the whistle. And remember, it's one referee, they don't have liners or assistants with them as well, and they are human, I want to say that. What do you do at that level to, say, to coaches with children, to parents, etc., that they got to stop this. Do you, do, you t- do you keep them away from the side of the pitch? Will it come to that, that you'll just have to let the game go on with nobody there? Well, you can't have that, of course. You yeah, have I know. Particularly I know. with younger yeah, children. Yeah, 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 yeah. Some kind of um, mm. discipline and control. What needs to be done at the start of the season, perhaps, is that the leagues get together, the league gets all the players and uh, coaches together and bring in the referees and say, listen, guys, this is what the story is. This is the way it's going to be. And then the referees need to enforce the laws. And as I said earlier, if there's three or four red cards in a game, so be it. They'll eventually get the message. But so long as there's this patronizing approach, ah, he's only the referee, ah, it's all right, ah, it'll be okay. It's not okay, and it won't be all right. And the referees need to be much stronger and the leagues need to back them up when it comes. I think they've made a real statement now by withdrawing their services. And this uh, is a shocking indictment. And and just as an aside, we see in cricket in England yesterday, uh, a a young man whose career is over, who played for Yorkshire, in in front of a parliamentary committee, telling them as it was, you know, the abuse he suffered. Now, I know it's a racial thing there, but, you know, when you look at referees and the abuse there, it is shocking, shocking at times. So you're saying the soccer authorities from top to bottom must take this on, must punish and issue the punishments, must implement it and back their referees, boys and girls. Yeah, Jerry, the abuse, the, the, abuse, the verbal abuse, you know, is, is the, the lesser of it all. It's when it turns physical. And, it, and not only yeah. that, but the intimidation as well. I mean, I remember being, having my car rocked uh, up in, in, um, in Scaries one time. And I had my wife in the car. This was very early on. And, and she was heavily pregnant. But they rocked my car. Mm. I was driving away because they disagreed with the decisions I'd made. It's going back that far. Mm. It's, this is nothing new. It was just brought about by this North Dublin League. And by the way, Jerry, the referees did not withdraw their services. They threatened to withdraw their services, and the league suddenly woke up and took the initiative to cancel all games. Okay. 
Well, they didn't actually go on strike per se, but they they told the league enough is enough. Not only can we not retain the ones uh, the the referees we have, we can't recruit any new ones because they're not coming into the game because of of, of all this nonsense. Errol, I appreciate your uh, opinions today. I value them and uh, certainly uh, this needs to be addressed and urgently because without the refs, there are no games. Thank you so much for your time on the show today, Errol. You're very welcome, Jerry. Take care of yourself. That's Dr. Errol Sweeney there, uh, former Irish youth and FIFA referee, a man who knows what it's all about to the highest level and at uh, base level as well uh, in the amateur game for many years. Have you an opinion? What do you think? Have you been the subject of abuse? Have you refed a game? Have you been on the sidelines? If you've anything to say, I'd love to hear from you on the show today. I welcome your opinions. 086-1800-658-086-1800-658. WhatsApp or text me to the show. You can call in too on 1850 715 958. On referees, Jerry, it was great to learn that the North East County Schoolboys League handed down hefty suspensions and fines to coaches for verbal abuse of referees. More leagues need to replicate this. Thank you indeed for that message. There are more there. I'll come back to them in a wee while. But look, this has to stop. It really has. The abuse is horrendous. And I know we all give out. I'd be at games myself. I'm sure when you're with one side, you see it one way. The other team see it completely the other. And the man or woman in the middle has to make the call. And I understand that. And we get... Uh, you know, in the heat of the moment, it happens. It look, it's happened to me through my life as well. But Jesus, uh, you know, abusing referees from a height at school by games, any game, like it has to start from the top. The rugby is an example. It really is. The soccer is simply a disgrace. I have to say, disgraceful. Now I have a giveaway on the show today. Would you like a Love Drada gift card? It's worth one hundred euros. Euro, yes. Uh, Love Drada gift cards. Uh, they're valid in one hundred and seventy participating stores. And you can find out more about them and how to purchase them by checking out lovedrahada.ie. All you have to do for this €100 Euro gift card today is text LOVEDRAHADA followed by your name and details to 086-1800-658. That's 086-1800-658. WhatsApp or text me LOVEDRAHADA and we will pick a winner for the €100 Euro gift card before the end of the show today. Coming up after two... He's from France. He knows all about wines. He's in Navin. What's the story with Jean-Baptiste Latinois? We'll find out. But before all that, it's Mr Christy Moore. He's back with a new album at the minute, taking us to news and weather at two with this one. I simply love it. We'll ride on on late lunch after two. Stay with us. Here he is, Mr Christy. Jerry, look, I uh, managed for 20 years in the Dublin leagues and I saw a thing or two that were really nasty. But in, in my opinion, he says, there's a huge problem with parents and children and parents have no correction on their children and it carries on on the sideline and on the field. Thanks indeed for that message to us today. Now, my next guest is a Parisian who trained as a sommelier in his home country, worked at many top restaurants there, relocated to Ireland in 2005 and has arrived recently in Navin because he's the co-owner of the winery on Trimgate Street. I'm delighted to say hello to Jean-Baptiste Letinois. Hello, Jean-Baptiste. Hi, how are you? I'm good. Thank you for joining me on the show today. Well, Navin, the hub of wine in Ireland, is that the aim of the game? Yeah, it is, it is. Uh, Navin, uh, I'm living in Navin, so that's a bit why we opened in Navin. 
um, and wasn't really a wine shop in Navan. So, yeah, we are here to, to, to bring some very good value wines and things that we, we bring ourselves directly because our main job is wholesalers. We are selling to some of the best places in, in Ireland and uh, we would like to offer as well to to the people in Navan uh, some fantastic value um, value wines and we are here to to help them and to explain all the stories uh, behind all these wines. Well, uh, Don, to you, you're only new. You're finding your feet there. You're three months open, and and I wish you the best. So you are well established. I know this in the wholesale arena, but it's now uh, the uh, domestic market. People, you want to get out there to people in the area and beyond with your recommendations and what you have. Can you tell me, training as a sommelier, what's involved there? Does it take many years? Is it like a, a university degree, or does it go on right through your life? Uh, it's uh, training as a sommelier. I had a chance to do the, the school of Saint Hermitage in the Rhone Valley in France, where you do it in two years. It takes a lot of dedication, mm. a lot of tasting, a lot of knowledge. But even when you finish that school, you still learn every day. And that's what is magic about wine is to learn every day. Uh, you, for me, even the best sommelier in the world still learn every day. Mm. And uh, it's, it's a lot of dedication, a lot of dedication. Yeah, I was thinking that because uh, every day is a new day. Every wine is a different wine, every possibility. And you would be well known. I know you worked at Bon Appetit restaurant in, in Dublin, which is a, a well-known place. And many people would know you from there. So you were there recommending a, a, as well. Look, when when you set up as an independent, you're right. I remember there have been wine shops through the years in Navin, but you are the new kid on the block and you're the only independent. Is it difficult when when you're competing with the likes of the multiple stores that have these range of wines and they can offer them at a price? Uh, is it difficult? We Basically, we offer diff, different knowledge. We offer different wines. Uh, we are working with small wineries, small winemakers. Uh, the, the, the others will say we'll work with bigger wineries. Uh, we offer, I'll be a bit arrogant there, I'm sorry, but we offer maybe a better quality. Mm. Uh, and uh, the, the knowledge we have. Uh, also, we want to break a little bit, I will say, the snobbism of wines, because for me, uh, wine is a bit seen as a snob person who's drinking wine but actually no, wine is here to discover a story, how the wine was made uh, by who and how and uh, everything is reflecting to the bottom uh, You know, you have many unique points in what you mentioned there for sure that differentiates you and you are quite different I was looking at your lovely website uh, thewinery.ie and I do see what you're saying you you uh, work with small vineyards uh, across France and Italy Piedmont in Italy uh, two of them they're well known place for, for beautiful wines and various uh, places uh, across France as well but that is the thing about them I, I noticed uh, Jean-Baptiste they are small producers that's a that's an important point for you? Uh, it's a massive point for us. Uh, we have some of our winemakers, they produce, produce only 7,000 bottles 
Uh, we have some of the wines in the winery, only 500 bottles are produced. Mm. Um, and all these winemakers, we know all of them. We know all the story. We go to visit them nearly every year. Uh, we go to check all the new vintages, all their new wines as well. Uh, and some of them even uh, ask us our opinion of what they do, and that's very, very important. Uh, we created more a partnership and a friendship with them. So that's very, very important to us. Yes, that link, that direct link with a small producer, them knowing you, you knowing them, that's something that isn't available, I have to say, in very many places. You you might not remember, but I do, because I have more years on the clock than yourself. You know, wine many, many moons ago here was Black Tower or Blue Nun, Leap Remulge. My God, in Ireland, haven't we come a long way? You've obviously seen that too. Yes, since I arrived in, in 2005, uh, I arrived in La Hinch in County Clare. I did water there uh, to learn English, basically. And the, the, the wine were here were completely different than what it is now. Uh, I'll say Irish people travel more and get more knowledge and are happy to learn as well. So that's fantastic. That's fantastic for us. In the shop, where you are there, like it's wine, what about food? Are are you into pairing foods with wine? Is that part of your offering? Oh, We opened on the 22nd of October our little wine bar where we have only 16 places where we offer as well a plate of cheese and charcuterie. We found some lovely little producer in Slane uh, who is Descreen and then we work with the whole hog as well. Uh, for their funnel salami, their fantastic chorizo. Um, so, yeah, we, we, we want to work as well with locals, small producers, to reflect what we do with the wine. And we offer wine by the glass, where every time the wine by the glass is different, because when we open the bottle, when the bottle is finished, we open something different. Uh, you can come and enjoy as well a bottle from the shop, in the little wine bar uh, and I'm here and our staff is here to explain you all about it, to have fun. That's the most important as well. Uh, we are doing that as well to have fun and uh, to go back as well to the direct consumer because it's what I used to be and what I used to do and uh, I miss it as well. It's a, a terrific offering all round you have and we know Peter Whelan well from the whole hogs. He's a very good friend, a friend of ours here on the show and he is a wonderful local producer too. That's great to hear uh, you bringing the wines from Italy and France and matching them with, with the local fare here. We have our own wine man, Rick Cronje, who joins us once a month here with his recommendations. He's fantastic as well and just coming back to something we always say, responsible drinking, you know, plenty of water with the wine, uh, you know, pacing it with food it's probably a thing that you know we are becoming more familiar with again here in Ireland you know rather than just glugging a half a bottle or a bottle you know what I'm talking about exactly but uh, but uh, wine is um, for me a juice with more experience uh, what would I say about this is <laughs> you're drinking wine to enjoy it yes. uh, is not to get drunk yeah is is uh, when you put a bottle of wine on the table, people start to talk. Uh, when you put a bottle of spirits, people get drunk. Mm. 
and uh, wine will bring engaged conversations. Yes. And, and, and that's very, very important to us. Ah, that's really important to say that and you've explained it really, really well, I have to say. Well, look, at getting down to the nitty-gritty, I love a Sancerre. Have you a nice Sancerre there? I see uh, you have a winery you work with on the banks of the Loire River. Have they a nice one? Uh, we have, actually, we have two Sancerres. We have Domaine de la Rossignol, who is a, a very small winemaker, who produced some fantastic Sancerre. And then we have, as well, the Domaine Gérard Boulet, who is part of the best tree winemakers in Sancerre. Uh, so we have everything on offer. We as well have some other wine a bit less known, uh, like a, a Mentou Salon or a Quincy that is on the way, actually. Uh, we have a lot of wine from the Loire Valley. Uh, we have a lot of wine also from the Rhone Valley because it's my heart, I will call it, because I learned the wine there. Uh, so no, there's a lot of wine on offer. Uh, we have a fantastic range under 20 euro. We have about 60 wine under 20 euro. Uh, so we we are here to bring the value and and the taste. I would say. Well, look, I I just wanted to say hello to you. You are a baby business finding your feet in Navan. I wish you well. You bring another dimension to the town there, and I'm sure you're going to have a a very good time in the coming weeks and months and years. Please God, the winery on Trimgate Street, and one of the co-owners is Jean Baptiste Letinois, who has joined me today on the show. I thank you for your time. Thank you for joining me. Uh, thank you for having me. Not thank at all. So Take care of yourself. Bye bye. Bye bye. We wish them well. We're a great supporter on late lunch of, you know, startups and people getting going and bringing something different to our communities. And good luck to them there. I'm sure our Rick will be in for a visit sooner rather than later. Louise, do you remember the days of Leaf Mulch? I don't remember as in drinking them, but I do remember my dad sold Leaf for Mulch, Piador, and. Le Piedor, Leaf from Elch, and there was another one. Blue Nun. Blue Nun. They were the only three you could get. That's it. And Black Tower, I think, Black was another Tower, one as yeah. well. But Le Piedor was the nicest, fancier bottle if you were given La a France La Piedor yeah. was the ad, wasn't it? Yeah. For it. Yeah, and you know, we were sophisticated in Ireland. We were <laughs> sophisticated. Only at Christmas you'd have your, ba- your <laughs> table of wine. <laughs> you know, you know, the Leaf from Mulch was just like sugar and water in a bottle. Like, it's rotten. It was that sweet. Honest <laughs> to God almighty. And we thought we'd arrived in Ireland. We'd suddenly had this stuff it's a oh bottle my of wine God. and six pack of Guinness yeah. <laughs> or ever, Smithics did you ever drink wine did you ever drink wine as a young one you know when you were tasting the old no. Fo- no what did you start off on when you had a drink first oh I think about a glass of wine if you went to the Chinese would you like yeah. as a team yeah. like towards yeah. the end of your 17, yeah, 18 but that'd be okay yeah that was the first of it but uh, you know when you think of the array of wines mm-hmm. you know and the selection we have and the way people have become more informed about it but wasn't Ritz and Snowball wasn't Ritz a form of kind of wine as well small little bottles and Snowballs Ritz. Snowball was a different thing was it ah, Snowball was a little it was Ritz kind of a champagne-y wine yes Ritz was a sparkly thing uh, Ritz was yeah bubbly that type of thing so it was sweet again uh, a Snowball was a different thing my mother used to love a Snowball I think it was a sort of an advocate a little yellowy thing yellow you know yellow with a little yeah. frothy head in it it was snowball. like putting ice cream into your uh, yeah. mineral yeah 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 <laughs> Snowball oh god Almighty, when you think of it, 
<laughs> and I'll tell you, you wouldn't get a bottle in a shop. You know, you know, you know where you go into stores there and the, the the array of wines that are there. Yeah. Even in small stores, it's incredible where it's come to. It really has. But uh, you wouldn't know where to pick. No, we always say drink, and and you heard Jean Baptiste there saying that you know it's not about you know becoming inebriated it's the enjoyment the sharing what did he say it was juice with juice with experience juice with experience I'll remember that for a while <laughs> for brilliant. sure uh, but uh, anyway it's good to see an independent getting going again in Navin and you know with a different selection and the beautiful little uh, vineyards they're associated with there for sure it's great to see it oh Louise I showed you the picture didn't I of yeah. Messi oh folks will I tell you what happened Messi you know Messi Messi my dog He's 10, he'll be 11 next year. And I was reading, you know, I got upset yesterday. 77. I was I was reading because uh, they say 10 to 12 years is the lifespan, you know. D- of a Labrador. Between 10 and 12 years. He's 11 next year, so he is. And he's in good shape, I have to say. But he gave me a great laugh today. Mm. He was in the back garden. You saw the picture, didn't you? Looked a bit messy. Tell, he was messy, wasn't he? <laughs> he was. Tell them what. Tell them what happened. Go on, tell them what happened. <laughs> he got a little bit of bird's poo on himself, didn't he? A bird shit in him. <laughs> I was trying to put it nicely. <laughs> well, look, it's a bird shit, no matter what way you call it or whatever you say. And I actually, what did I think? I thought it was Markins on you, his you face. You thought he was getting, she's ours and he's getting old now. <laughs> <laughs> spots. A big splat right on his head, round his eye and down on his nose. Do you know what I said? And I, I, sent, I sent the picture to my daughter, Sarah, who just adores him. Oh, the poor dog, clean him. <laughs> I said I will not clean them. It's for luck. You know when a bird shits on you? Yeah. You know this? It, we've said this before. If a bird does his doo-doos on you, don't touch it. Oh, you know not to touch it? No, it's oh, for it's luck. Okay. It's for luck. Let it dry anyway. It comes off easier. My car must be really lucky then. <laughs> no, you park out under that stupid tree outside LMFM where every crow in the world comes to do their do's. It's called being optimistic yeah, before and, doing and a lot you, st- you still haven't copped that yet, but you have a white car, so you can't really see it. Do you know what I mean? But anyway... I think I'll do the lotto. I do it. I do it. I do it. I've had not much luck in but it. It's but it's anyway. messy, not you. So what are you going to do? Read the numbers, and every time he barks, go right. That's yeah. No, that's no. <laughs> if he wins, I'll 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 buy him a bag of feed, and I'll spend the rest myself. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, poor Messi. He was destroyed. I'd say it was a gull or something. Or a good lump of board. Anyway, hit him mm. because it was a good big white splat he got on on the nose. Anyway, a bit of a, a bit of a. Must end. have had a lot of lapia door last night. <laughs> the bird. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the dog needs it now to recover from the trauma. <laughs> anyway, go with Late Lunch on LMFM Radio this Wednesday afternoon. We're heading towards our now uh, usual break in proceedings at 2.30 and taking us there. Yes, it's the brilliant Dermot Kennedy. And for Messi, there will be better days. There will be. There will. Better days are coming. If no one told you I hate to hear you crying Over the phone, dear For seven years running You've been a soldier But better days are coming God be with the day, says a listener uh, to us So we were talking with Seth and Louise About the wines of yesteryear Piet Dor, Blue Nun Matthias Rosé, I forgot that one it Is right, well, they've all been replaced By the new wave Jerry, but memories, memories. And as for the Ritz ad, Rosie and Navin's been on to say, Louise mentioned the Ritz. She must have been fond of the Ritz, Dara Louise. Uh, The ad said, said Rosie, it catches the light 
You'd swing out of the lights, Jerry, if you had a bottle or two of it, says Rosie. I love it. Thank you indeed for all your comments to the show. And Paddy White, just to mention Paddy. Thank you, Paddy. Listening to Errol Sweeney, top of the show. He's seven years refing and he says, yes, he runs the gauntlet of abuse, but he's a simple way. He goes over to the people who are shouting the abuse. Either you leave or I go, he says, and generally the game continues. Thanks indeed for that message. Now... My next guest on the show probably um, epitomise a trend that's happening in end of life, at end of life, because you see more people, I I believe anyway, are opting for cremation. And we're going to talk about it for the next while with the people from Lakelands Funeral Home and Crematorium. I'm delighted to welcome Ian Fee. But first, Declan Finnegan to the show. Thank you for joining me, gentlemen. Declan, good to hear you on with us today. Mitch, you might tell us um, the history of your place. Was it a a traditional undertaker's? Uh, What? Where are you coming from? Well, I took over a business from my uncle, funeral business, uh, back in 98, uh, 1998, and uh, continued the funeral business and built it up more. And then in 2015, we opened our crematorium here to serve the, the, the region, and we're delighted to be getting support from Loud Mead and all that area and Northern Ireland. Mm and all the surrounding counties. So it's it's a service, as you said, that more and more people uh, want at uh, their time of passing. Uh, as people see how uh, nice the service is and homely and warm as the sin is, that the more and more people are looking to have that service now. Mm-hmm. Are, are you uh, one of many in Ireland or one of few? One of few. There's four in Dublin, one in Cork, uh, one in Belfast, mm. and uh, there's one in Shannon. Uh, now, we were, well, there was three in Dublin, one in Belfast, one in Cork, and then us, and then Shannon came along, and then yeah. uh, another one in Dublin. Yeah, so, so there's uh, not many. You're not many. You, you are, no, you're pretty thin uh, on the ground, as they say. And and this trend towards it, Declan, do you, has COVID as well, you know, with all the restrictions and not being able to grieve people and so few at funerals and no church, has this, in a way, opened people's eyes to cremation too? Well, it's, it's opened their eyes a bit, I suppose, in the sense that they can have live stream and all that, and they can, if they can't make it to the service, at least they can watch it from abroad or from wherever they are. It's a free service that we offer, and it has helped, I suppose, to increase, but more so the witnessing of another service and we continue to see people going out and saying that that's respect and that's dignity mm. that's the way that's the way I want to go mm. and, and you, we experience that all the time yes and, and you are a seven day operation absolutely you yes. go Monday. Seven, seven days a week because people pass away seven days a week yes. and uh, mm. people want to have the service when they want to have it not mm. when it suits yeah someone that's offering the service, if you know what I mean. Yes, yes. And the other thing, going back to what I've been talking about this last, it'll be two years now at this stage with restrictions, in a way I was just thinking, if somebody is cremated and and you are presented with the urn and the ashes, you can then, at a later date, you know what the restrictions, you know what I'm getting at, have you seen this where people then had a formal ceremony? Absolutely, yes. Uh, You have that all the time, that people 
have a get together for the month's mine or whenever it suits whenever it suits the family, that family coming from abroad or whatever, and then they have the land rest of the ash in mm. the family plot or wherever they've decided to have the yes. that. Mm. And uh, the fact that we're a family run business helps a lot as well in the sense that we're here to serve the people for what they want when they want it and it's not that uh, it's not a corporation type thing we're here Mm. we know how people feel and we try to help them out the best we can yeah and Declan you have the history as well as you said going back through the family through your uncle and now uh, up into yourselves in the present time let me say hello to Ian Fee he's listening patiently on the line yeah your sidekick there hello Ian How are you? I'm good. Thanks for joining me. Um, Ian, you're an interesting guy in that uh, you are a former priest. That's right. That's right. Yeah, I was uh, was a priest for about 23 years, Jerry. Um, I'm out of the ministry now about four, just over four years. So I suppose, like Declan, uh, we've both been very heavily involved in funerals in one way or another, Declan from the funeral director's point of view and of course over the years I would have worked with many families and individuals at the time of a funeral time of death organizing the funeral sort of working with them at a difficult time so both of us coming at it maybe from opposite directions but ultimately for the for the same result really just try to help families at these difficult times and trying to put together um, a suitable funeral service or liturgy whatever it may be that would be a a, a true reflection of their loved one and the one who has died and how they want to remember them. Mm, you have lots of experience, as you say, and you bring so much to your role uh, with Lakelands. Now, there's never... There's, it's impossible, isn't it? You've been there so many times. How do you, you know, comfort people or people looking for answers or explanations when somebody, say, passes young or suddenly or... You know what I'm talking about? Surely, surely. The the thing about it, Jerry, is every single person who comes here to us um, looking to organise a funeral for a family member, for a loved one, whoever it is, every single one of them is different. And I think that's one of the things that we see, especially here in Lakelands and the crematorium, because, you know, I mean, we're all very much aware Ireland has changed a great deal over the last number of years and continues to change and you know be it people's religious views or their philosophical views whatever it may be so you know we people coming here for whom the traditional funeral um, just may not fit you know and they want something mm. a little bit more personal they want something a little bit more uh, in, in tune with the person who has passed the person that's their life their beliefs their their character um, and the good thing about here is that we can really put together uh, with the family, with the uh, the next of kin, a service that is a true reflection. I mean, if, if you can use the term bespoke, uh, then we can use it. You know, yes. um, that you're not you're not limited really by um, the, the, the the rules and the rubrics, say, of a of a liturgical funeral. Now, that we have them as well, absolutely. And I have to say, the local clergy here are are, are wonderful. Um, be it the priests here in the in the cathedral or in the neighbouring parishes, the 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 church Ireland clergy, the local clergy, um, they're a great help to us. And they come in here, they work with us um, if a service is to take place here. And very often they may come here for 
cremation following a church service or following a funeral mass. But we also have that ability then, you know, just to work with people. And as I always say to them when a family comes in, I say, look, it's a blank page. You know, we can create a service for your husband, your wife, your father, your child, whoever it may be, um, that they would want. And very often we do get people who will come to us. And I know a number of people would come to Declan here to make their funeral plans. Yes. And we would have them on file then. And, and people will take the time to say, well, this is what I want. Mm. You know, this is how I would want to be remembered. This is, yeah. And so they, you know, they choose their own readings or poetry or music or whatever it may be. And it's lovely to be able to do that and to give families something that is that is truly personal mm. and, and, and unique for, for each one that comes in. You know, mm. so it, in that respect, it's, it's lovely to be able to, Yes. To work with the family in that way and put something together for mm. them to, and, and it's all part of the part of the grieving process and hopefully part of the healing process for them as well, helping them through it. Sure thing. Bespoke is is the word that does uh, encapsulate all you do. Just a, just a thought while you you're with me, Ian. I'll, I'll go back to Declan in a second. Did you ever feel like this last while, and I keep saying this, last, when will it ever end? Anyway, God knows. Did you ever feel that you were perhaps the overlooked frontline workers? You know what I'm getting at? We had, you know, all the hospital staff from top to bottom, doctors, nurses, uh, everyone who works at the hospital, frontline workers. Did you often feel and like you guys had to go into difficult situations, uh, you know, uh, with uh, outfits on you, you know, protecting you and everything like that? You know what I'm coming from? Sure, 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 absolutely. I, I think at the start of this whole thing, Jerry, maybe there was more of a sense of that. Um, and look, this thing came upon us, the whole COVID thing came upon us, and we were all left a bit floundering at the start, and people were wondering. And there was a lot of learning. I mean, it was a huge learning curve for everybody concerned from, from the medical side, um, certainly through ourselves, everybody and anybody. You know, we had to learn very quickly. We had to learn on the ground. And of course, you know, I mean, that the focus was very much upon the medical side of it, you know, the doctors, the nurses, the staff in the, in, in the hospitals, in the nursing homes, the caring profession, and rightly so. You know, they were, they were right on the front line there, you know. But I think as time has gone on, um, we did have to, there again at the, at the beginning, we did have to sort of, you know, reach out and say, look, all these provisions are being made for X, Y, and Z. We need to be remembered in that conversation. We need to be included in that. And I think when they realized that, well, yes, you know, I mean, you have to go into a hospital, you have to go into a nursing home, you have to go into a private home where there may have been a COVID death, of course, you're going to need that protection as well. So I think no more than many other roles, people have come to realize that this Mm. has a huge arc of of, uh, effect, uh, you know, in in many many uh, ways in 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 our local communities and on the professionals working within our communities of of which the the funeral directors are are one of course but over time you know i think we we have come to that point now where we realize along with the medical staff along with our doctors and nurses everybody like that you know that the funeral directors are there in the thick of it as well yes and have been over the last, you know, it's coming up on two years now, really, you know. Mm. Um, but as I say, look, it's been a, it's been a steep and a, and a sometimes very difficult learning curve for all of us. But we're getting there over time. It's, yeah. it's, it's learning more. It's becoming more educated about it, more aware of what we can do 
and um, you know, and I've, and I've no doubt that's going to continue, Jerry, because yes. we're, we're nowhere near out of this yet. No, no, you definitely know? not. Declan, you have a great man by your side there. And there's no I and team. We're all, we're all. Without the complete team, you're nothing. And I have a great team here: Grany in the office, and Lorraine, and Ian, and all all the staff. Brian, like you can't you can't run business without a team. Mm. And thank God we have a great team. And as you said. Ian is a major part of that. Yeah, yeah, oh, absolutely. It's a team game all the way, no matter what you do in life or death, as they say. Well, look, at just wanted to touch base with you today to tell our listeners you are there, Lakelands Funeral Home and Crematorium, seven days a week. And uh, my wife is a a good dark woman. Um, uh, She's Brady from the Central Bar, daughter of Benny Brady's, and we have good connection with Loud. Yes. And in the main room here, the backdrop is a picture from the ramparts in Navan, uh, which many people know. And a lot of people that come here for probation from Navan yeah. really feel at home mm. when they see the, the backdrop. And uh, it's, it's nice. It's done tastefully and respectfully and homely. Yes. Because it's a, it's a very important for people uh, that it's a place of comfort and people really like that about our place. Of course, and you have those connections, as you say, right across the northeast here. Thank you for joining me. Uh, you do Thank a great job and I uh, wish you both well. Thank you very much. Thank you for joining me on the show. Take care. That's Declan Finnegan and Ian Fee there from Lakelands Funeral Home and Crematorium. It's something we don't really... I do anyway. I try to put it to the back of my head, but you know something... The old wheel goes round, doesn't it? There's uh, no doubt about that. Uh, nice to catch up with the boys t- today on Late Lunch. A wine update from Miss Louise Walsh. I've been a Googling, Jerry. Go um, on. You can still get Matthias Rose in certain supermarkets. Okay. Uh, Black Tower, you can still get. A Blue really? Nun and Le Piedor, mainly you can probably get uh, UK in the north rather than down here. Okay, I but think they still I, are there. I think I saw a blue nun in a different type of bottle, and I do know Matthias Rose is about, mm. and it's rebranded and that as well. I wonder have they adjusted the the taste of of the wines from those early ones that we were given a slag into so. earlier, and I'm sure they have indeed. But they're still around. There you are. I didn't think they'd still be around about, but I did see the Matthias Rose yeah. for sure, and something in my mind has that the blue nun image or something has changed, but they're still there from yesteryear and still with us. Now, my Artist of the Week is Rod Stewart and with his career now well in the stratosphere at this stage, the hits just kept coming during the mid to late 70s. Songs like This Old Heart of Mine, Tonight's the Night, First Cut is the Deepest and The Killing of Georgie all made Rod Stewart a household name. Footloose and Fancy Free, his 77 album, also spawned a raft of hits. It was followed by Blondes Have More Fun, that was the next album, but it received stick, especially for the single Do You Think I'm Sexy? Well, with three wives and five different women bearing his eight children, obviously they loved the song and the man. Well, into the 80s and our man Rod moved and shifted in terms of his music to a new wave sound, which continued to resonate with his fans with songs like Young Turks, Some Guys of All the Luck and Baby Jane, all tripping the light fantastic. Rod took a hammering, though, 
for playing Sun City in South Africa. He broke a widely observed musical boycott of the then apartheid nation. Yet it never dented his opportunity or success. Rod the Mod rolled on into the 90s, which is where I'll continue tomorrow. Today, it's back to 77 and this one from Mr. Rod Stewart. I didn't know what day it was when you walked into the room. I said hello unnoticed. You said goodbye too soon. Mr. Rod Stewart and another classic from the man today on Your Late Lunch, my featured artist of the week and more from and about Rod around this time tomorrow on the show. Final break of this Wednesday afternoon and afterwards I'm joined by, as I say again, an inspirational young man from Dundalk. He's brought out his second cookbook called From Greenhouse to Table. John Moore is with me next. I spoke to him when he published his first week cookbook. I told you the time was brilliant. I ain't surprised there's a second one out now. It's called From Greenhouse to Table and the man who's put it together is John Moore and he's with me on the line. Hello again, John. Hello, Jerry. Great to hear you on the show today. I want to say two things first. First off, you're a man of your word. You came up and delivered the trifle to me after the lockdown. It was divine. And I want to say thanks for the lovely acknowledgement in the new book. Thank you, John. You're very welcome, Jerry. John, I didn't know you grew the stuff as well. You have a greenhouse. Yeah. And what do you love growing in the greenhouse? What's your favourites? Um, I I love growing everything, but particularly um, the lettuce. Because mm. you can grow it all year round, you know? Yes, you can indeed. And I see a lovely picture of you in the book, spinning the lettuce as well for the salads. But listen, you have pictures of beautiful tomatoes. You grow great tomatoes too. Yeah. And the tomatoes and herbs and peppers and other things you've grown are all incorporated into this book. You've made a great job of it. Yeah. What's your favourite dish in this book, John? What would be your favourite? Um, well, well, I have... Um, my favourite in that one is... Um, Bread and butter pudding, I love it. John, would you believe I have it? I picked out two myself and I have the bread and butter pudding down here on my list too. Great minds, take a like, John. Yeah, and and actually, Jerry, I, I, I was doing that for a fun... This time I'm doing it for a fundraiser. Yes, and we're going to mention that. You are, you're giving all the proceeds from this book to who? Tell them, John. Um, to, to the Redemptress, to the Redemptress Church here in Dundalk, because they're, they're renovating the bell tower and a few other things that need to be done. Yes, and they can do it every euro they can get. You're very good to think of them, I have to say, and support them. I was up that bell tower once and it's magnificent and it does need restoring. John, can I tell you, can I tell you my pick besides the bread and butter pudding that I love from the book, can I? Yeah. I love the sausage and red pepper hot pot, John. Yeah. 
Good man, John. Try it because it looks amazing to me. You've done a fantastic job. Did the first book, it was really, you know, that was the start of it for you. Did you find this one easier or as big a challenge, John? Um, I, I, I found it easier because I knew what I was what I was doing, you know? Yes, yes. And uh, you can see that right through the book as well. Um, you've been working on this for a wee while, I take it, from, you know, the, the greenhouse producing the tomatoes and everything uh, up until you published it. Did it take you long to put it all together, the book? Um, n- n- no, it didn't, Jerry, because I kind of knew what I wanted to put in it, you know? Yes, so you had that clear in your mind and then you just had to get it down on paper. It's beautiful. John, who took the pictures? Um, a fella called Andrew Brown from Go Create. He did a great job and I'll tell you, you're on plenty of the pages smiling out at me, John. Yeah, and he did he did my he helped me with my first book as well. Ah, listen, you're a great team, the Perry, but hell, I'll tell you this, there's someone else on the team as well, and she gets pride of place inside the back cover, your mammy Geraldine. Yeah. Ah, she's fantastic. Is she beside you there? She is, yeah. Would you put her on to me for a minute? Yeah. Thanks. Come on. Hello again, Jerry. Ah, Geraldine. What a man you have there. He's gone <laughs> ah, he's gone to a new level with this one. Isn't it brilliant? I, I think he is, yes. He yeah. loves the greenhouse and yeah. going things, you know. Yeah. I asked him this morning why he likes the greenhouse so much. Mm. And he said to me <laughs> the vegetables don't talk about COVID. Ah. <laughs> Geraldine <laughs> What a man And you know what He is It's everywhere I know And you just can't avoid it But isn't that so true Because you know I have a little greenhouse myself And I love the oh, garden have you? Yes. yes I have And I love spending time And I know what he's talking about The peace and serenity you get It's That's, that's right Something that's else right. Isn't it It really really is Isn't he great though To support the Redemptorist too All proceeds are going to them That's right that's right. He, well, he wanted to do that himself, so... Ah, well done to him. Where is the book available, just to let our listeners know, Geraldine? The book is available at the moment either from ourselves yes. or the Redemptress shop. OK, in Dundalk. And in what, Dundalk. What do you mean from yourselves? How can people order it? Well, I mean, we can give you our details. Yes. You, and, um, yeah. You know, have, can, have you an email address or a phone number you I want have, to give me? Yes, an email address. Give me that. Go on, shout. Right. John C. Moore. John C. C. Moore. Yeah. 1982. Yes. At gmail.com. Ah, that's very easy to remember. So John C. for Christmas. John yes. C. Moore. 1982 yes. at gmail.com. If you want to support the Redemptress and support this great chap and you'll get a book sent out to you in the post. How much does it cost, by the way? Five euro, Jerry. I'll tell you, you'll get no better value for five euro in <laughs> Ireland this time of year or any time, I have to say, than this book. Just put me back onto him for a quick second till I say goodbye. God bless you, Geraldine. All right, Jerry. All right. Hold on. Hello? John, just finally, I'm going to say goodbye to you. Congratulations on the book and I wish you a happy Christmas and New Year. Thank you, Jerry.
Take what, care. What cake, what cake would you like? I'll tell you. Do you know what you'll do for me this time? If you get a chance to do the bread and butter pudding, will you do that one for me? Yeah. <laughs> ah, good man yourself. We'll share it between yourself and myself. We love it so much. John, great to talk to you. Look forward to talking to you again when the next one arrives, the new, next new book. Thanks, Jerry, for your time. Not at all. You're very welcome. You're a top man. Isn't he simply wonderful? And folks, do support him. Please do. John C. Moore, 1982 at gmail.com is the detail where you can get in touch with them and buy the book and support John and the Redemptorist. He's wonderful. That's a lot on Late Lunch this afternoon. Tomorrow, Giovanna Feely is talking to me on the show about being present with your children and with your family. It's a big issue. A hangover cure. Lydia Deveni tells us more about it. Katrina Bentley's here and Leah Barneville will sing for us too. Coming up on your late lunch Thursday, but for this evening, stay with us here on LMFM Radio. Eddie Caffrey's raring to go with the drive. See you Thursday, 1.30. The Late Lunch with Blackstone Motors, Drawdat and Dog and Cabin. Order your new Dacia Duster or the all-new Dacia Sendero and Stepway. Guaranteed delivery and low-rate APR finance. Visit blackstonemotors.ie. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.